This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 48. As always, joined by the three amigos. We got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management, everyone's favorite boomer. And we've got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting, no longer in Canada, now back home in the UK. I don't know if this is, and I'm in, in Italy here, so I don't know if this is, this is no longer a Canadian podcast. Uh, we will strictly be talking about the Eurozone moving forward. Um, but how are, how are things? What's what's going on, Rich? You're you're settled in there? Or what? Slowly, slowly, uh, back into my flat. Rich uh, booted his tenants out, by the way, <laughs> slumlord. No, no, they man credit. To, I I know that they do not listen to this, but I will give them mad props. They left uh, the flat in immaculate condition, so I'll just give them lots of credit that they'll never hear. Uh, no, back to London. Took the tube yesterday. It was great. Uh, no longer have a car, which is fantastic. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm a driver, but uh, yeah, it's been sunny. Alcohol is super cheap in the UK, ladies and gentlemen, and so that's been nice. Um, we'll see. We'll see how the next year goes with the new prime minister and energy prices and all other kinds of things we're going to dive into today. But yeah, so far so good. Back in the whole flat. Um, I'm happy yeah. for you, man. I know you've uh, been looking forward to the move. And uh, yeah. Keith, Keith is apparently throwing a raging. You had a barbecue there today? No. Okay. <laughs> Go on. That's the end of the show. No, we're done. No, uh, tonight, um, you know, this is Thursday, of course. We're doing this. So uh, bingo. Bingo. Tonight at the beer garden here in, in Halifax. Uh, yeah, we have a few people getting together, so it'll be fun. Be good night. And Not like now, though. Address. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, what, what's great, though, here we are, like the three corners of the world, you know, Rome, London, and Halifax. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here, boots on the ground, to uh, report live on the energy crisis. Yeah. Did, did, are people like burning up their statements or their bills? Have you seen any of that? Have you heard no, about that? No, you know what? It's, you know, it's interesting. I'm such a weird person. Like, I think, I mean, we're all kind of weird here on this podcast, but um, you know, it's just like I, you know, that scene from The Big Short where uh, Steve Carell's like, 
he's like looking around. He's like, look at these people. They have no idea. And that, that's kind of like how I feel. I was like, look at these people. Like they're so happy. Like, don't they know? Like they're going to freeze this winter. No, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, the energy crisis is heating up. Uh, we have a lot to chat about in this week's podcast, all jokes aside. Um, you know, we had a huge movement from the BOC, uh, Bank of Canada, obviously, which we'll get into rate hikes from uh, Australia, rate hikes in the Eurozone, energy crisis unfolding, government, uh, you know, controls of, of energy pricing and, and, and various, you know, whatnot. So we'll kind of get into this week's show, but I think we should start things off this week with the Bank of Canada. We, we did a Twinkie bet last week. Um, it was in fact 75 basis points from Tiff Macklem. I don't believe there was a press conference, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no additional real commentary um, following it. But basically Tiff Macklem or, or the BOC's commentary, very brief as it was, it was basically, I think it was just, just uh, written, written word, was uh, that more was to come. And I don't know what's going to be in Twitter spaces. There's going to be a <laughs> Twitter spaces. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to get sloppy here. But anyways, the BOC now is at, I don't even know what they're at now. I'm just losing track. They're at 3.25%. So they've raised rates a full 300 basis points. Uh, of course, we're starting to see people's mortgages get triggered. Um, Keith, I don't know if you have any initial commentary on that, but you also owe us a Twinkie. Um, so feel free at your leisure to devour that thing. I love the Twinkies. I think, you know, what, what's really funny about this show is that, you know, we're all right and wrong with these bets. So we have to, you guys have to try to scurry out there and try to find a Twinkie. And, uh, but for our house, I just go to the cupboard. They're, they're always there. So it, it's, it's fun. Uh, so Mrs. Icecap's a great lady. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Charles this week? Who knows? But, uh, this week, oh, so Bank of Canada, yeah, so there was no presser this week. You know, they just came out. It was in line with expectations. Uh, so even though the currency did nothing on the announcement, and it did strengthen later on in the day, but that's because the dollar just got weaker. So everything just strengthened. It wasn't a Canadian dollar event. Uh, so the, so the, the, probably the two key things that happened with this rate increase one, uh, in the announcement, it, it is sort of suggested that the rate hikes are going to stop very soon. Like, we're almost over. And then if you look at financial markets, they're also suggesting the same thing. So um, right now, uh, you know, the next meeting is October 26th, and uh, we're pricing in about 50 base points for then. And guess what happens after? Hockey season? No. Oh, Steve. I have no idea. Housing Man, market. You... No, no rebounds. More Bull That's market. It. I get paid. There she was, gone. All the rate hikes are scheduled. Well, they're priced in to stop after October. So if you go from October right out to next July, uh, the, the markets are not pricing in any more hikes. October to July, just like hockey season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's how. Maybe that's back. how Tiff Macklin sorts out his interest rate policies. Like, well, okay, boys. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, they. Um, yeah, I didn't see the Bank of Canada on Twitter this week. Uh, Rich, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on the Bank of Canada and, and their Twitter? Um, well, I, I owe you guys a Twinkie as well. I thought it was going to be fifty. Um, Guys, I, I, need to, I need to interrupt for a second. I got two hours to go do something. So when I come back, you'll be finished on your Bank of Canada. Yeah. 
no, no, um, no, no comments from on the Twitter sphere. Sorry, Keith. I didn't mean to entertain all of our lovely listeners. I don't have any terrible jokes either. But um, no, not, not got nothing else to say on the on the Canada thing. Um, nothing more than I don't. I still don't think that raising um, rates, as we've discussed many times, was going to affect the interest rate. Sorry, the inflation outlook. Um, I, I'm still keen to keep an eye on the two or three items that we've discussed. And, you know, I think in a couple of weeks, we'll have the inflation print again. One is the shelter component, which is obviously going to probably take a hit from, from housing. And then um, the services component, which, you know, has been grinding higher. And I don't necessarily see how um, interest rates of one, two, or three are going to affect um, the, that part of sort of the interest rate, sorry, inflation basket. Um, I, as far as my payoff, I looked high and low for Twinkies. They don't sell Twinkies in Doesn't London. Count. <laughs> Not I, I, I found. So I found the, this the worst thing. I found an even worse uh, food stuff, which which we'll just have to stand in which is peppermint stuffed chocolate thingies. Oh. And I could not think of anything worse in life than putting mint and chocolate together. And those so sound, that, oh, no, no, those sound delicious. My wife, those are like big on my wife's. That, that's like a premier chocolate. This is, it's, it's, it's like mint ooze that's been injected into chocolate. I, I could not think of anything worse to put in your Fire mouth. Fire that thing in the mail. I'll eat it for you. <laughs> they already have those. What's the little box of them? It's a white box with a little Well, brown... I got this too, but this is tea cakes. These are delicious. <laughs> Buddy, we're trying to get a sponsorship from Hostess Twinkies here. Well, I'm going to eat one of these disgusting chocolate mint things. And no, no, you guys eat can the other scent. one. The, the other one looks... <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. Been all more right. anyway, but, interesting. So to sum up, I don't have anything to add on the Canadian banking thing. I do. I do as well. I want to jump back in before. Go uh, for it. You know, we'll the, the, Ro- the Roman lover there comes back in with his his view on things. Keith, what are the, what's the, what's the uh, let's provide some actual value to our to our listeners here. What's the what's what are the markets now pricing in? Uh, what are they pricing another fifty basis points by year end before rate? Yeah, cuts? so fifty. Yeah, fifty at the next meeting at the end of October. So that'll bring us to uh, three seventy five, and then that's it. Okay. And then, yeah. then, I mean, I mean, obviously markets aren't always right, but I think markets are pricing in rate cuts at some point in 2023, correct? Uh, so uh, the, the market for that only goes out to July of next year. And uh, again, this is a financial market product. It's not a, an economist making a, a forecast. Right. Uh, they are, the market is showing no more rate hikes. And so what happens with central banks, once they stop hiking rates, they never hike again. The next move is, is going to be down. And uh, with the Fed, because they have the best data, on average, it takes the, the U.S. Federal Reserve, it's usually about eight months before they cut rates again. So using that, let's say the Canadians, uh, they stop in October. You know, we, we are looking at, you know, maybe they cut by uh, next summer. Um I will go into this as well after you have you want to, I know you want to say something see about the banks but um, guys the, the financial markets are at a very serious moment right now and I'm just going to be absolutely shocked that we get through to next summer without either a rate cut happening or you could actually see the opposite in in rate hikes so remember back when the uh, the Asian currency crisis you know, was was booming back there in the in the nineties. So back when you guys were in 
daycare, day school. Uh, I was in high school. <laughs> you were in high school? Yeah, grade seven, I think. <laughs> grade seven. <laughs> and the last kid to be picked for dodgeball again, oh. <laughs> Rich Diaz. Uh, but back then, you know, as soon as you get into a, a crisis on, on the currency side, you had to raise rates to protect it. So, you know, I was, I was listening to the ECB presser today, and one of the questions to them was, uh, you know, what is the normal rate for these guys? Where do you expect them to go? And I'm screaming at the computer myself. I'm thinking 15, 20%, you know, something like that. Because I think that's where they'll have to go. But I'm no, they're not going to raise rates to 15%. Anyway, carry on, carry on. Yeah, just thinking. I have to be considerate now because I have the two Euro files here in the podcast with me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> To get it, it's yeah. Not I mean, keep going. I'm done. That's it. What do you have, uh, Steve? Well, no. I mean, I think that uh, it's funny. I was getting ragdolled on Twitter. Somebody pulled up like a tweet from October 2021, where I think I said like the BOC would get rates to you know like one and a half percent or something, and they'd probably cop out. And everyone's like, "Oh, this you know the wrong predictions, guys." Like nobody had nobody. I, I mean, and maybe some of the odd tinfoil hat guys like you know, that pop up on YouTube occasionally, like nobody had the BOC getting rates to 3% 12 months ago. Okay. Even Scotiabank at the beginning of the year, you know, I think they had eight rate hikes. Okay. So I think it's just important to, to understand that like, you know, the most important thing that we talk with this show, like, yeah, we're obviously trying to like bring valuable information. We're trying to bring at least a little bit of insights and in, from our own industries and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's like, when the data changes, you have to change, right? I mean, I don't think like any of us, I don't think expected inflation. We've all been very pro-inflationary on this channel, I think from the get-go when it was deemed transitory. And I don't think a lot of people really expected this thing to really drag on. And obviously the energy crisis to continue to manifold. Like, you know, now like, you know, Russia is talking about shutting down, uh, you know, the entire gas pipeline there into the Eurozone, right? I mean, like these things continue to evolve. And so I think we just, at the end of the day, it's like you can use your best judgment two, three, four months out. But you know, as the data changes, your opinion should change. And so, yeah, the Bank of Canada right now is at three point two five percent. I think this is bringing definitely a lot of pain. And people say, "Well, nothing's broken yet. Everything's fine." You said it was. You know, you said stuff was going to break. Guys, we're six months into a rate hiking cycle. You know, the sixty forty balance portfolio, which is what Keith, as you would know, like the vast majority of your traditional portfolio managers are using your 60, 40. I mean, it's year to date is down 14%. I mean, it's the worst return since we've got data going back to the 1970s. And this is people's retirement funds here that are being impacted. Right. So, I mean, the pain is here and the, you know, I'll ask anyone in Europe, the pain is, is, is coming and it's already here for a lot of them in terms of what's happening, not only with their energy bills, but now with interest rates as well. So, um, just a quick note on that with the BOC. I think that people continue. The biggest thing that I observe, Keith, Rich, I don't know if you guys want to chime in on this, is I think there's a genuine lack of understanding. Only because like I'm not going to be say that I'm an expert on this, but I've done a lot of reading and I've, I'm genuinely fascinated, fascinated about like private debt. Um, and I think that the vast majority of market pundits or experts that are pontificating on rates and how high they can go, I think ignore the role of private debt and just how levered the private sector is, particularly in Canada, to assume that this is just going to be, you know, a housing only related event. And, you know, you can just have a 
you can just have a national house price correction of 20, 30%. And we can just continue on with our merry ways. And, and there's no like spillover. Um, the one thing that I would like to bring up is uh, David Rosenberg again. Hey, he's been wrong. Um, but he brings out, uh, it's funny. I'm actually looking at his tweet right now. He just deleted it. Uh, he got the, he got the info wrong, but on a $7 trillion economy, uh, the increase amounts to $200 billion increase in debt servicing costs. So um, on a $7 trillion economy. So anyways, suffice to say, I think this is going to continue to bite. Housing data remains weak, despite all the real estate pundits and realtors talking about, hey, this is the end of the last rate hike. The housing market's bottomed. I don't think it's bottomed. I think that um, activity is going to moderate a little bit, but I think that there's still downwards pressure. Rates are simply too high. So with the rates moving up 75 basis points, your variable rate now went up 75 basis points. So anyone that was escaping these fixed rate mortgages and saying, hey, you know, my fixed rate was 5%, but I was able to get variables at 4.2. Your basically your variable rate is now essentially the same as your fixed rate, which means if you're going to qualify for a new mortgage today, you pretty much are getting stress tested at 7%. So your borrowing power went down after this rate hike, your borrowing power, you just lost another 8% of purchasing power. And so, you know, if you can borrow 8% less dollars, I mean, that typically starts to reflect in your house purchase prices. So I still think there's more downwards pressure, uh, which I ultimately think is deflationary um, if you give it enough time. So that's all I have to say. Oh, my turn. <laughs> I think I think you're right, by the way, as far as not having felt any of the negative effects on in Canada are concerned. Um, but before we get to that, I think what's important to remember is interest rates are still negative in real terms. And now there are different ways to calculate this, of course. Um, and I bring this up because I think when interest rates become positive at these much higher debt levels for households, that's when we're really, really going to start to feel the pain. And make no mistake, it will happen eventually. But interest rates, real interest rates are still negative. How do I calculate that? I mean, there's several different ways. You know, we've been mercifully um, helped along by some of our listeners with using market priced measures. I like to use sort of lagging indicators for this kind of thing, just because it's sort of, I think it gives you sort of a feel for much more, a sort of a macro sort of top down view of it. Um, and if you look at global or OECD headline inflation, it's at 10.2%. And global government bonds, you know, depending on your duration, let's just pick a duration of, let's say, two or three years. Um, to reflect a lot of the debt burden that households might take, especially with uh, mortgages. I know mortgages are more short-term in Europe, Canada, and the UK than they are in the US. US is a 30-year fixed rate. And if you look at that global bond yield, it's 4%. So you add a bit of a spread to get to, let's say, 5 or 6 and you're still negative by 4%. And I think that that negative real interest rate is what's sort of saving um, people right now. And, and, and I, for me, that's really what I'm watching. And then as far as your question on whether or not corporates can survive these kinds of inflation numbers, I think it really, really depends, and, and sorry, debt numbers, I think it really depends on where they're feeling the pinch. We're gonna, get, we're gonna talk about energy in a little bit. The energy, I think that's an acute, um, I mean, enormous amount of pain that companies basically cannot survive. I mean, I've seen numbers from mom and pop, um, like uh, mom and pop farmers have bills of like literally hundred, they will have bills of literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the winter. If, and they forecasted out what their projected in, uh, energy bill might be. 
I mean, that's just not going to happen. The governments won't let, you know, thousands and thousands of bank, uh, sorry, gov- uh, companies go bankrupt. But as far as touch you know, on that, by the way, that's yeah. a big, I know, that's I know. Our but, next anyway, point, but continue. But I was going to say that as far as like whether or not corporates can survive um, with interest rates higher and higher, I think a lot of, so two things, one, um, you know, a lot of in the US, I think it's a much different scenario than it is in Canada. In the US, you saw mortgage applications spike when interest rates were very, very, very low and mortgage applications, which is an index of mortgage, you know, uh, um, of people taking on mortgages and buying homes is very, very low right now. And so people are just not transacting in the same way in America as they are in Canada. In Canada, it's different. In Canada, you take on three, four, five years fixed rates. You have a debt to GDP that's 110 versus 70. Um, you know, you have you have a reset, whether it's that lock-in clause that you've discussed or just literally the end of your five-year reset, uh, five-year fixed mortgage period that you're, we're about to come right to that number, whether it's this year or maybe in next year. And so you've got an incredible amount of people that bought homes in 19, 20, 21, that over the next, let's say 12 to 24 months, are all going to just naturally redo their fixed borrowing costs, their fixed mortgage costs. And I mean, so it's, it's, you, we're just about, in my view, about to feel the macro side of, of all of these interest rate hikes. We have yet to feel them in my view. And and it'll be interesting to see how the market starts to price that in, right? Because the market is usually, you know, a discounter of what's going to happen in the macro space, right? It usually tends to happen a lot quicker, a lot faster in the markets. I don't know, Keith, I don't know if you have a, any, anything to add on that. Um, but I, I just think we have yet to f- really feel these interest rate hikes is what I, the way I would describe it. Yeah, that's in line with our thinking. Uh, so we continue to expect that the world and Canada as well, we're gonna see an economic slowdown coming up. Uh, that has not changed. We, we continue to see increasingly more evidence to suggest that it could be a pretty hard landing. And uh, so that's especially true in Europe. And I think that's now creeping over. We need to talk about the, you know, this energy crisis. And we're now starting to see policy responses from governments. So we will we'll go into that as well. Uh, but just setting the stage here, because, you know, Rich made some good points in that, you know, just because of time, you know, we are approaching this moment where a lot of households are going to start to have to take more of their discretionary income and allocate it to debt payments. Governments will be doing the exact same right. thing. Good point. Yeah, the governments will be doing it. Uh, usually companies are really good at controlling their debt and their interest burden relative to governments and households. But uh, one thing I want to touch on, because everything is linked together. Like you don't view, you know, Italy on its own, you know, Britain on its own in Canada and stuff like that. But um, in the currency world, we're now at this point where sterling, yen, and euro, they're all back to levels that were first reached back in, back in the 80s, like 85, 86, and 87. And it's just astonishing. Like there, there's something clearly wrong in this system. Uh, and again, these are not emerging market economies and, and countries and, and central banks. These are like the three big ones in the world. And uh, these, these currencies are really struggling. Because remember last week, you know, remember, I, I think I, I quizzed you guys, hey, which central bank is dovish and everyone else was, was bullish or sorry, hawkish. And then Rich said, oh, that's easy. It's always the Bank of Japan. And, you know, the yen this week, uh, two days ago, had a 2% down day. Two, that, that's like 
the NASDAQ being down 15% in the morning at, at the open. And then the next day, and usually you get a bounce, it was down another 1%. And so when yen is down that much, it, it totally ticks off the Chinese. And all of a sudden, then the Koreans are upset, all the other smaller economies in Asia. It's like, wow, we all have to devalue here. Because that's what the Bank of Japan is doing right now. That they're implicitly devaluing their currency to save currency the bond war. market. It's the start of a currency yeah. war. Have you, yeah, seen, have, you guys, have you guys read that book by Jim Rickards, by the way? No. Currency. What's it called? Currency Wars by Jim Rickards. I mean, you can love him or hate the guy, but apparently it's actually, that's mandatory reading at Bridgewater. Uh, okay. Ray Dalio, Currency Wars. It. Good book. Yeah, it, and that stuff works during a normal market cycle or economic cycle. But again, I mean, you, you know our view that we are at the end of this long-term 75-year secular movement, you know, with, with Rich's favorite, second favorite T-shirt guy. <laughs> Where's it three? Because I like the one with you with, with no, the, no, the I, beer goggles. That, that I, have Mil- I have a Milton. If you're asking, yeah. I have Milton what's, what's Friedman. The, I have rank? Thomas Solwell. I have um, Keynes. And I've got Esther Duflo, who is one of the few women who've ever won an MIT Sorry, from MIT, who won a Nobel Prize in economics. You're welcome to check and out. And you have website. a shirt. You have a shirt with your own mug on it. I think we yeah. got to have like a T-shirt sale the next event on <laughs> December the first in Toronto. Plug. Yeah, plug. It's funny because like my, my I have mine at like at Steve Suretsky, Rich Diaz, <laughs> Brent Johnson. <laughs> you go down like that. It's a good I mean, order. Yeah, I know it's. Uh, but Keith, but, what do? We, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, my my point is that. We, we are, we, you know, because Steve made a really good point earlier, you know, we're talking about how many rate hikes will the central banks do. And, you know, it, it's always very difficult to pinpoint these things. They, they don't know which direction they're going in either, really. But, you know, we keep coming back to the same thing. Something is going to break here in the system. And when you get these three major currencies all just screaming lower, and remember, it, it's, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. Somebody else out there is really feeling the heat on this right now, uh, specifically in Asia, and it's, it's specifically China. Yeah, I can guarantee you that. Uh, we are at the moment where, you know, you're going to start to see the RMB. It, it's getting loosened every single day. Um, and then that filters down then to Hong Kong as well. Um, you know, I, I always laugh on Twitter. They have this, like, stupid argument going around in a circle about, the Chinese are selling their treasuries so they can buy oil and have it settled in, you know, the ruble won and, and stuff. It's garbage, guys. It's complete fantasy. Down, the, you ever go down to that rabbit hole? Uh, the, the Chinese are starving for dollars right now because they get dollars coming in when the world economy is just booming, and it was booming for twenty plus years. So they got admitted into the uh, the WTO. And then all the Chinese companies got listed on the MSCI indices and stuff like that. And that game is now over. Like globalization is over. Now all of a sudden the Chinese, they need dollars. <laughs> okay. they, they need US dollars, right? Globalization is not over. Carry on. You're right I mean, about China, but globalization is not over. Keep going. <laughs> globalization isn't over? I think it is. I think, okay. I mean. Global exports too- as a percentage of GDP is going to go up over the next 10 years, not down. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> So Rich is now, you know, he's he's met 
Uh, what's the correct word I'm looking for? Anyway, Rich is now a smack dab almost up against the border of the economic <laughs> fantasy land called Europe. I'm not so going to just let you make sweeping comments without some pushback. People will trade, countries will trade amongst one another for the next. Okay, I think the point is, okay, guys, countries will countries will continue to trade, but there is a friction point amongst. Yes, thank you, Steve. Yeah. That I mean, that's an example. Yeah. Okay, so as an example, right now, the Americans, they're now going to penalize, I don't know the exact story here, but they're, they're starting to penalize U.S. companies that are building chips with Chinese components. It was something like that. That was in the I saw that, system. yeah. Yeah, so again, like, this, this is happening. But back to the, you know, the, you know, the sort of, you know... Basically, sorry, the, the U.S. Yeah, U.S. government's been subsidizing some chip manufacturers, and they're saying if you are setting up new shops in China... Um, we're pulling the plug on you, basically. Yeah, 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 it's happening. So, you know, we are at this moment where we have all this stress taking place, and a lot of it is the energy crisis. So we sort of need how to, to jump over, you know, because the, there are bailouts happening right now. So I know, Steve, I know you've been covering a few of them. So we got the bailouts in Europe and UK and even in Canada. And for my own household. <laughs> Getting you have my, to explain that. <laughs> yeah, I get my trigger rate. No, I did get, uh, well, yeah, no, I actually, I would have been trigger rated, but I actually increased my payments like a month ago. So um, anyways, take, take, that, take that for what you will. Um, I think that's a big story. I know RBC talked about 80,000. So anyways, lots, lots happening behind the scenes, but continue, Keith. Well, I, th I think we should talk about how the, I don't know if people are aware or not, but Governments are now moved to the stage of bailing out companies as well as households for energy prices going up. So, we, so in Europe, if you guys want to take it, you can. But it, you know, in, in Europe right now, um, a lot of corporate entities they're now getting it would be basically debt bailouts from governments, uh, especially in Germany. And um, you know, Germany, as, as people might know right now, so you know, the Russians have turned off the. Uh, as the White House press secretary called it, the Nordstrom Stream One gas pipeline. So Rich seems to like that one. It's not Nordstrom. It's that Nord another boomer joke. That Nord one Stream. missed too. That was a Nordstrom is a is a shopping mall, right? It's like the Bay or a Zeller, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The, the, the White House secretary called it Nordstrom. Keith like, is oh, more man. of a Sears guy, I think. Yeah. Wait. Can I? But I think well, Keith. Wait. Wait. Keith, wait. wait. No. Right. No. No. We're getting the Keith's fashion trends. <laughs> I was a Kmart boy as well as Woolworths as well. Ooh. Just to be. Just both out, of, both out of business. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like Rayman comeback. Zeller's gonna, making a comeback. What do you got, Rich? What do you got? Well, I was just gonna say that the thing that I think you left out, although um, if I may, is that the yen, ECB, and um, and obviously the pound. Uh, sorry, the yen, yen, your own pound. Um, they're getting smoked because of the energy issue. And and just to give some context, maybe some numbers, the reason is because let's start with the European Union. The European Union consumes about 10 million barrels of oil per day. Remember, everybody, a barrel of oil is 42 gallons. Uh, don't ask me how many liters that is. Um, and they produce virtually nothing because in their infinite wisdom, they, you know, have for one reason or another, have basically refused any kind of um, exploration and they have um, hooked their, their RV to the oil tanker that is Russia. And as a, as a function of Russia's aggression in the UK, Ukraine, 
Um, it's, you know, they're in obviously a pickle. Japan um, also has consumes about four million barrels of oil a day and produces zero. That's a function of geography. There are no known oil reserves off the coast of Japan or in the Yellow Sea or in the Sea of Japan. Um, and obviously, they import all of their energy as a function of them turning off their nuclear power plants. We're seeing some, you know, we're seeing, we're going to see a very quick U-turn on their nuclear power plant policy. If I'm not mistaken, I think they've already okayed um, a bunch of them. Um, anyway, so that that for sure is going to happen. So, and then and then the and then the UK, which used to produce a lot of oil in the North Sea, um, you know, it you know it it, it consumes about maybe one uh, just uh, just over one between one and two million barrels of oil a day. They produce you know a little bit, but their net production is negative, and so again, they import an incredible amount of natural gas for heating and energy. They have spent an, a lot of money and time on the renewables, which we know are not fit for purpose or is being exposed as not being fit for purpose. And the UK is, as a function of that, going to green light two things over the next couple of months. I'm, one of them I'm sure about, one of them I'm not quite sure about. One is they're going to green light nuclear power plants all over the country. I think that that's a very, very clear um, sea change. And then the other thing is, I think that they just with under the new prime minister, they're going to green light some oil and gas exploration. Um, again, this is it's not because they don't know it's there. It's just because they haven't been spending the money, um, you know, to you move to there explore. and things start changing. <laughs> maybe it's like they're, maybe they're, they're listening to the right. pod. That's right. They're listening they to the pod. just got a like, new so, job. So I think it, it's, you know, the reason we're having, you know, yes, there's lots of problems with Europe. Yes, there's too much debt in Japan. Yes, there's maybe productivity problems in pound, in, in Britain. But let's, I think, in my view, the, what's happening right now is very, very specifically an oil and energy issue. I don't think if oil had spiked or natural gas prices weren't 10x what they were two or three years ago, you would be having the yen euro and pound making 30 or 40 year lows now would they be lower would they be weakened because you know us has better productivity and it's just a better economy maybe okay fine but to see them at night and you know see them at 30 year highs or lows depending on which way you look at it um i think that that's a strictly a function of you know the fact that they're not in a position to provide a, enough energy and as we've discussed at length on this podcast crude oil and energy is super important and and so that's that, that would be my only addition to keys i think extremely well put a little soliloquy i think we should basically like take that though and like summarize it which is like okay so you have all these issues you've got you know a rising cost of living you know europe's on the brink of everybody freezing in the in their homes this winter and um you know, in Canada, for example, rates are going to go up so high that everyone's going to foreclose and lose their homes. And like, I think what we're now seeing is the, the reaction function of governments, which point. is, okay, goalposts start to move. And again, like this is not about right or wrong political leanings. This is just simply a factor of like goalposts are moving. So we see, for example, in the UK, uh, which is from Javier Blade today, that the UK government is freezing gas and electricity bills for the average household at $2,500 uh, for the year for the next two years. Uh, I don't know exactly, again, all the specifics of that, but apparently it's going to cost, uh, I believe it's in the hundreds of billions. 
for does that sound right? 100, 150 billion. They're estimating that to cost the the UK government. Um, in in Canada, for example, Keith, you were tracking this. Was the uh, Trudeau government has now uh, announced that they will be doing they'll hike GST rebates uh, that will help with rent payments as part of a new affordability plan. That's per the Global Mail uh, just today, as of this recording. We record on Thursdays, by the way. Um, and then, you know, for example, even for myself, as somebody that's in the housing market here, I look at what's happening in, in British Columbia. Um, if you guys are familiar or tracking the BC housing market, every single year, as per BC government regulations, is a landlord is allowed to raise their rents by whatever inflation is for the prevailing year. So in 2023, I believe the average rate of inflation in British Columbia was like six and a half percent. So that should have been the allowable rent increase for landlords. The BC government came out and said, no, it's 2%. Uh, we changed our mind. And this is actually part of their sort of plan um, to sort of basically fight, quote unquote, inflation. So again, the goalposts are moving, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. The idea that Europe's simply going to roll over and that everyone's going to freeze to death and, and in Canada, everyone's going to f- foreclose on their homes. I think we just have to understand that this is the poly. Not to say there isn't going to be a lot of pain. There's still going to be a lot of pain. Businesses are going to close. People are going to suffer. There's going to be people that still lose their homes, but governments are going to intervene. Anything that is unsustainable for a long period of time eventually gets corrected. So, Keith, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but. No, I mean, that sounds, I mean, so I look now like from a market perspective. And um, so one of the big, allocations that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to make and waiting uh, is an allocation to through the oil markets not not the stocks the self the equities but you know to the commodity and uh, I think we've been five months now waiting and we've been targeting like if you're looking at the West Texas intermediate it's WTI like where are we now this morning 83 84 bucks West Texas yeah. Oh no, it's that's gold. Uh, sorry. Uh, West Texas is yeah. eighty-one. Is yeah. eighty-one, and, and Brent um, is eighty-eight. Sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at the futures market. Rich is living in the spot world. <laughs> He's got his fancy. Isn't that a funny? Here. That's a funny joke, right? Like <laughs> that <only>? is funny. <laughs> hey, thanks, Rich. <laughs> okay. Can't all afford uh, Bloomberg's. That's right. Can't all the, afford uh, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Live. <laughs> yeah, but no one lives in the spot world. Jeez. Okay, uh, so eighty-three versus eighty-nine. It's up today. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> here we go. Right, eighty-three fifty-eight for the for the near term. The point is. Uh, so this this is what you know Steve was talking about. You know we get a lot of bad things lined up. It seems like, but there are some self-correcting movements or mechanisms because the global economy it it does self-correct itself. So oil has been coming down gradually, um, and of course, if you're depending on oil, it's, that's helpful. If you're in Europe, then you're you know you're living in a different kind of land. But uh, we are getting cheaper oil here. So from just from a pure investment perspective we are starting to see the entry point coming up, you know, for oil. And it's probably within the next, I'm going to say nine to 12 weeks, we'll be there. And after we do it, I'm going to say, yeah, we actually did it four weeks earlier because, you know, we won't announce sneaky. in real time. Pull I know rug on very, the uh, listeners here, eh? It Jeez. is, it is sneaky. But um, again, you know, we always make the, 
we always say that no matter how bad something might look in the world, there's always a way to make money on it. So if this is going down, something else is going up. And I mean, the other thing, like with people with your investment strategy, if you if you really like something, you want to do it, you know, you, you don't just storm through the front door and buy it. You, you have to be wait, you have to wait and, and be patient. So some of the best uh, hedge funds out there, as well as long only shops, you know, you'll have the like the PM and the analyst and, and the trader that that's the way the, the role will work. So the analyst will come up with the idea. Yeah, we want to buy this. It goes to the PM, they determine, okay, this is the allocation we want to make. And then the really good chops, when it goes to the trade desk, they're the ones that will decide when the execution will take place. And the really good chops might say, you know what, this might take months to get this in. And, and, and that's the point. So you never, if you have a good idea, you think something's going to be great. Uh, if you're patient, you know, you, you are going to get it. And you know, I think that is coming up right now in a lot of these commodity markets and same with equities as well. So, uh, but I just sort of get the sense that over the last two or three days, you know, people are starting to feel better about themselves because equities have, you know, they sort of bounced a little bit and you know, that, that's just sort of the, the sentiment I'm feeling. You are think? You guys, I don't know, man. I, are I, you feeling <laughs> the same or maybe I'm in a different world? I don't know. Rich, I don't know what you think. I'm on Twitter like every day and I think the sentiment is horrendous right now. Like, well, I wanted to relate, I want to relate sort of the energy crisis and Keith's self-correcting point with the interest rate hikes we're seeing and your point, Steve, that we're still, I think, in for it. And, you know, if you look at the two week rate of, rate of change for many of the commodities that I look at, I look at, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's a commodity that I don't look at, but, you know, you can look at natural gas, um, you look at jet fuel, you can look at, I mean, gasoline, all this stuff. And if you look at basically the entire fossil fuel space has had a two week uh, decline of anywhere between 10, 15, in some cases, and um, Jesus, natural gas prices in the UK are down 26%. And the reason I bring that up is because it relates to sort of Keith's point about the markets, and then, Steve, your point about sort of the sentiment. And, and the reason we look at commodities, especially um, oil, um, is because it's often an indicator of expected growth or sentiment indicator. To, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a an commodity that's linked to the global, glo global growth story. Sorry, I couldn't say that. And um, when you see, um, especially fossil fuels, and, in, and of course, yes, metals to some degree, but oil is specific because it's fungible, it's global, it's not going anywhere. Sorry, Greta. Um, everyone in the world relies on it. It's traded every day all over the world. And, and so when you see these sell-offs, you know, I'm just looking at it right now, crude oil, WTI, two-week rate of change is down 14% as of yesterday, because I don't have Keith's fancy Bloomberg. And so, you know, and so to me, that's an indication of your point, Steve, which is, you know, even though the market might be bouncing, I think that there's definitely growth. The sentiment on growth, I think, is worsening. And I think the crude oil and a lot of the other commodities sort of speak to that. Is that what you sort of were alluding to, Steve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'd love to also chat on the, um, you know, see if you've got that. And then, I don't know, just like you got the ECB, Keith. I know you were following closely this week. Uh, they actually had some commentary out today. Uh, so we had the RBA, which is the Australian Central Bank, raising rates um, this week. And then also, you know, we talked about the BOC, Bank of Canada, and of course, the ECB. And the economic fantasy land, which Keith has followed so closely, you know, Keith, I remember like, again, 
you know, not holding you to account. Right. But I mean, at the beginning of the year, it was like, Hey, like these guys are never going to raise rates. I mean, they raised rates 75 basis points today, but there's a little bit more to that story, uh, which I'd love for you to sort of chime in on it and sort of explain, um, you know, your commentary on the ECB there. Yeah. It's like, they're trying to, uh, you know, go for a swim without getting wet. If, if that makes Oh, you're on a roll today, Keith. Is that a good one? That's that's not <laughs> yeah, you're bad. On a roll. You were in a slump there for a couple of weeks, but now you're back. I you're know. Back. <laughs> I know. It just you know it, it was the summer. Um, but for uh, you know, so what the ECB they, they did raise rates today. It was 75 base points. It was right in line what the market was expecting. Um, so there was no movement at all in the currency market. So it sounds like. Hey, they're now hawkish. We're going to raise rates. We're going to crush inf- inflation. That's what they kept saying. And uh, but at the same time, though, they're they, they're pumping out more liquidity to the commercial banks, and they still they're actually being more aggressive with with QE in in certain ways. They're doing it in in, in funny ways. So on on one hand, they're hawkish. On the other hand, they're they're still being dovish. So um, isn't their balance sheet still growing right now? Yeah, because yes. they're they're reinvesting. But the main thing they did. I don't even know what the new acronym is. Maybe you guys remember with the new, the new twist. Oh God! They, <laughs> no, yeah, we talked right. about it a couple of weeks ago, but I forget now. Yeah, I mean, God, <laughs> like even today, she was still talking about the uh, the Tilitro number three or four. Um, but the point is, with with Europe, guys, they're um, it's the anti fragmentation tool. Oh, remember? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a yeah, good one. There you go. But they're raising rates to try to force inflation to come down, which is being caused by a lack of energy coming into the system. It has nothing to do with, with, with rates. So, um, you know, they're, they, they're, they're in for a real tough time here coming up soon. Um, I mean, so so I some of the, yeah, just one second though, but like some of the guys I know, they're, you know, they're really deep with, with the Fed and the, the Treasury. They think the dollar can go up maybe another 4 or 5% from here very quickly so that's if you a want lot to... so it doesn't sorry for people might not know at you know at home but that's a lot when you've already moved 10 or 15 or whatever 20 percent a and then b the dollar is the most important currency in the world sorry keith i don't think people understand yeah how so we're looking at 5%. so right now on the the dxy is around 110 so we're looking at maybe like a 115 so that might that means maybe it can go to 113 or 117 no but a lot of the guys know they're saying yeah that's probably where it is now if it just gradually gets there up you know up to christmas or something then that that's not a big deal like that that's not going to hurt anyone um you know if it happens you know by week two of the nfl season like there's it's it's gonna it's gonna wipe out so like for example euro will be down to like 95 cent area um if the canadian dollar has the same correlation you know you're looking at low 70s something like that and um you know, poor old Sterling, um, you know, that's going to zero, of course. So good or bad for Rich. Rich's condo. <laughs> so condo. Well, you should buy a, uh, a swap contract on your Oh, I'd love condo. to do that. Yeah. Sadly, I'm not, like I'm not that sophisticated. But I do want to just touch something on the, on the EMF, on the, on the FX side, but the emerging markets, which is something we don't really talk about enough here. And, you know, there's definitely this lot of pain. Um, you know, if you look at the INR, which is the Indian rupiah, uh, if you look at the Turkish lira, Turkish lira is a joke. Um, and then there, but two currencies that have stood out in how well they've done relative to the U.S. dollar 
The first one is Brazil. So Brazil is usually a currency basket case. It usually um, doesn't do so hot. But as we've discussed here many times before, Brazil is a major exporter of oil and commodities. And so it's had you know, the good fortune of selling its uh, commodities for hard currency in the form of US dollar and has been able and is one of the reasons why it's actually been very, very, very stable. And that's, I would say, probably a surprise. Um, and then the other one that I think is really fascinating is the Mexican peso. And that's been lock a step with the US dollar. Um, and so again, partly as a function of energy, the US, sorry, the Mexican economy produces a lot of oil. I can't exactly remember quite how much, but it's a lot. Um, they produce a lot of oil and um, they also produce a lot of, um, they're, they're net exporter of oil um, and their economy is linked to, to the US um, in, in many, many ways. Number one, obviously, from an energy standpoint. Number two, from a manufacturing standpoint. So you have companies that basically manufacture, let's say, a truck in Texas. Well, it might cross the border two or three times. Thank you, NAFTA. But the other thing that's really important to the Mexican economy is they get an incredible, an incredible chunk of their current account balance is a function of remittances. So there's a couple of countries in the world whose expatriates produce are so numerous and so productive and frankly wealthy and make a consistent and concerted effort to send money back to their economy. So I think Philippines is one of them. I know Mexico is another one. I forget there's a third one that always stands out, but I forget. And then, but Mexico's current account balance is basically propped up as a function of all of the expatriate that send cash back to Mexico. That's just part of it, of course. It's mostly oil, mostly commodities. But the Mexican peso hasn't seen any of the negatives as we've seen in other countries. And I think that's important that we talk when we talk about the US dollar space, that not all countries are, are suffering that fate. Yeah, so, what, so that's a really good point. Uh, so when you strip out, because cause you, put, you put Canada in that same sphere, I mean, that, that's where it is. Right. Um, if you look at, say, the, the Asian currency index, it's a Bloomberg yeah. one for it, and that, that's down about 10% this year. And on a, on a cross rate basis, you know, there, let's look at uh, JPY here for the same, to get the year to date um, with my fancy machine. Hey, Steve. <laughs> For that thing to use. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the Asian basket is down 10%. And, uh, you know, I, I, like yen is down 20%. So, even though you're down 10% relative to the dollar, you're, you're up 10% relative to yen. And that's what I was alluding to earlier here um, when we started the podcast today. You know, some markets and economies are being held up because they have very positive trade features about them. And so that, you know, so the risk here is that, you know, there is a recovery and everyone will sell CAD, peso yeah. and, and real because that's the way markets work, right? You sell high, you're going to go buy these low guys and they'll, they'll spring up like yen could just, you know, surge skyrocket. Or the, the other concern is that like something breaks in the market. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe peso in Brazil and, and even CAD for that matter, you know, it, it comes off a bit relative to the dollar. But again, but make no mistake, if you're in the currency world right now, you really have to focus on, on Asia and uh, specifically the Chinese, because boy, oh boy, if, if those guys devalue or devalue more aggressively, 
uh, that, you know, that would really set some of the, some of the another, wheels moving. There's another country in, in Asia we don't really ever talk about, but is extremely important, partly because it's a bellwether, partly because it's so integrated into the global economy, globalization, and partly because it produces all kinds of really, really useful stuff, phones, semiconductors, cars. They're one of the largest refinery, refineries in Asia, and that's South Korea. And just like we've seen a collapse in the trade balance of Italy as a direct function of the increase in energy prices, the exact same things happened in South Korea, which I think is is wild. South Korea is an exporting powerhouse. Um, if you you know if you want to look at what's going to happen in earnings, you just track the uh, you just track the movement of South Korean exports, and it'll tell you everything you need to know about global earnings. Um, and South Korea's trade balance, which has basically been positive since the aforementioned Asia crisis, which is in 1997, has um, finally gone negative, basically. And the only other time it happened was in 2008, and that was basically for a cup of coffee, and they went right back up to positive. And now it's massively, massively negative. And it's, again, a function of energy. They don't really produce any of their own energy. They import it all. And it's just, so this is just, you know, it's not, we make, we make a lot of fun about Europe and their stupid energy policy and how it's going to affect currencies and, and the lifestyle and, and, um, and how people live there. And the same thing's happening in South Korea. And I imagine to some degree, we don't see it because the data is murky out of China, but they can't be happy about what's going on in the energy crisis either. No, absolutely. And like for everyone, uh, so the Korean won is down 15, so one five percent year to date. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty, pretty tough move. Uh, anyway, so we have all that. Uh, a little bit non-investment related. Are we getting towards like the cool part of the podcast this week? Oh boy. Yeah. No, I just, uh, I'm just listening to you guys sort of feel about local current. I mean, I'm my sort of only commentary just, you know, to wrap that up was just going back to all these like rate hikes and seeing, you know, what the ECB is doing. Like, you can't tell me like, you know what I mean? Cause like the ECB is like, okay, we're going to like hike rates to get inflation down. Like you can't tell me it's a demand. <laughs> a demand side problem in Europe. Like you can't tell me there's this demand pull inflation in the it's Eurozone. Not, it's the, not, the consumer it's not. is so strong and wages are just, this is the 1970s all over again that it's, and, and I think you probably extrapolate the same thing to like here in Canada. Like, I just don't think there's this huge demand pull, but maybe I'm wrong. I no, want to hear also, Oh, I was going to say also, and the, and the consumer confidence. And now the other, I mean, not just the wages. I mean, consumer confidence is weak. Housing is finally rolling over in Germany. I mean, sentiment is disaster all over the German industrial space. I mean, what they actually need now is probably more liquidity and lower wages, not the opposite. Right. Sorry, Keith. I exactly. You can't say, you can't tell me like, like, again, that demand is so strong. The economy is booming that like, oh my gosh, inflation is out of control. We need to just like wind this thing down and hike rates. It's like, no, you guys have supply side issues of horrendous policy and and i would argue a lot of that's the same in canada right i mean it's anyways or, or less degree could, i, think, I mean know, almost, i think, no, no, I think canada, maybe Canada's a big different. different yeah maybe a little bit canada's a little bit different obviously the u.s is a different story too i think like households are in much better shape they probably overstimulated etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think it's important to contextualize all this for everybody that you know, rates are going up across the world, but none of these economies are one and the same, right? But they're all now we're sort of in this currency war, um, where everyone's trying to get, you know, basically trying to prevent their economies from blowing up. You know, I think there is a, um, there is an event or scenario coming up. I think it's a small, 
percentage I would allocate or, or assign to it. But think about a world where, you know, energy, it, it, it doesn't surge, it doesn't collapse, it sort of stays where it is. Um, other economies, they do experience a lot of stress, but the Canadian economy doesn't. You know, the banking sector is able to manage the housing market and all that. It just creates an environment where the Canadian dollar, it, it will come down relative to the USD, but relative to say like Euro, Sterling, Aussie, everything else, it can be incredibly strong. So yeah, for anyone, you know, anyone listening and you do have a lot of excess savings and investment out there and you've always wanted, you know, that house in, in Italy or, you know, wherever. Uh, I'm just being, I'm being serious. No, I, I, think, I know. I'm laughing because yeah. you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, there is a scenario where, yeah, you might get that chance to buy something, you know, really cheap coming up so again the point is always be global you know think global that that's the way uh keith keith is eyeing his villa in in, in tuscany yeah that's here. right yeah like como <laughs> your existing you house isn't big enough yeah that's right i want to get a place uh, i'm gonna that, be in that? uh like rad and chianti here we go with that yeah, that's it and there we go Rebe and all that uh, uh, the the ice cap winery <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So guys, football starts this week. So as a free gift to everyone, what I'm going to do. Uh, so here we go. Here's my, uh, I like the 49ers guys. Every week, I'm going to give everyone the prediction on what the score of the big game is going That's to be. That's a great idea. <laughs> I know. And uh, San Fran game. Who cares? Are we, gonna hold, are we able to hold it to you? <laughs> no, you can you can keep all your winnings. You don't have to. No, no, no. I want back. beer. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want money. I want. I want the form in the form of beer. <laughs> beer. Yeah. So, yeah for, so for week one prediction, the 49ers are in Chicago for week one. Uh, so the score is going to be. I see 38 to three late in the game <laughs> and then with two garbage time touchdowns by the bears final score 38 17 niners okay if you're wrong like if, you're, if you're wrong you gotta like you gotta mail a fedex beer molson canadian to rich no you buy me a beer in De- on december 1st at our loony hour live that that's that's the that's the deal one collector I'll, no no i'll collect for everyone that one you lose beer. I, I wanna... paying for the event if you're wrong <laughs> maybe i'll fedex uh rich a budweiser over okay <laughs> done i love it <laughs> what a horrible beer <laughs> my mom Whoa. loves budweiser shame on you i'm actually i so fun story this is a wrap of the podcast here if i if you gave me 20 dollars and said steve go to the liquor store and buy us a six pack i will buy budweiser every day of the week my tongue that's my favorite beer well, my mother and you get along then because my mom's favorite beer too. Mama <laughs> 72 Diaz. years old, going strong, still drinks a couple beers a week. Loves Just shot, shotguns a couple beers every night. <laughs> so, Rich, but my favorite pint is you can now you can get it over in London. I can't get okay. it over here. It's a uh, bass ale. Bass ale. Okay, I'll have one tonight for you, buddy. Yeah, I like the bass ale. It's disgusting. <laughs> That's a good place to wrap it up. As always, uh, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you staying patient through all our nonsense banter. All we ask is that you pass this podcast along to at least one family or friend member. And of course, give us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Help us surpass ArriveCan. We are still 
on the slow journey there. Arrive can continues to accumulate hundreds of thousands of views by the day. Uh, but we certainly appreciate your support and we'll see you next week.